Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to our Sunday morning worship service here at Midway Church of Christ. So glad you took the time to be with us this morning and worship, worship our God. If you're visiting with us, please know that you're an honored guest and would love to get to know a little bit more about you. So please uh, stick around after church, uh, after our worship service this morning, so, uh, so we can chat with you a little bit. If there's anything we can do for you, please, uh, please let us know. I'd like to uh, encourage you at this time to silence your electronic devices, phones, tablets, etc., so we can uh, worship uh, uninterrupted. Uh, this morning, our opening prayer will be led by Bill Hyde, uh, singing by Randy Painter. Mark Howell will bring us the lesson of the hour, and then uh, Luke Wright will close us in prayer. Keith, again, has some uh, announcements uh, before the closing prayer. So at this time, uh, we will go ahead and enter into worship. Bill. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful we're allowed to worship you again here today. Father, you realize how much we need you more than, than we do. The love you give to us, unconditional, and we just keep on sinning and you keep on forgiving us. Lord, let us always look for a way to draw closer to you every day to realize that we have this avenue of prayer, a gift that we can just ask you and you love us and at some point you respond to it Lord we're just we're people who like immediate gratification and sometimes it takes longer Father you come to you praying for people that are ill people that are fighting this COVID fighting other illnesses Lord you know who, how to treat them better than we do but we're coming to you with prayer Lord, as we contend this worship, let us always realize that your, your Word always continually grows. It's alive. And if we just open our hearts, we're going to find a, a better way to worship You, a better way to serve You. And our life is to be service to You. It's not to please ourselves. In Jesus' name, Amen. <coughs> We'll be singing number 853, the first and last verse, if you're using your book. If you would, all stand, please. <clears throat> Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing His mercy and His grace in the Every day, just one. 
beginning to get back on the path of getting us back to normal. Again, so thankful to see you today. Let's go ahead and get started into our lesson this morning. I read about a man who bought his little boy one of these modeling sets, you know, one of these little car sets where you've got a whole bunch of the pieces that you have to glue together. Now, I forget whether it was for Christmas or birthday or whatever, but anyway, he got that. But the thing about it was, it was really for a child who was a little bit older than his son. But they sat down, they started putting it together, and he worked with him for a while. And then he just told the boy, says, go ahead and work on it, and, and, and I'll come back in a little while. Well, in a little while, he came back, and his boy, you know, he was just sort of frustrated because he couldn't get it to work. And his dad asked him, he said, what's wrong? And he said, I just can't get it to stay together. And so the dad said... Just do the best that you can. And he went away again, and in a little while he came back, and the little boy had the car put together, but it was the oddest-looking car that the father had ever seen. And so he made a statement. He said, what in the world have you done to that car? And the little boy began to have tears well up in his eyes. And the father looked at him and said, what's wrong? He said, Daddy, I was just doing the best that I could, just like you told me to do. Well, the guy who was writing said, he said, I learned a lesson that day. I learned a very good lesson. He said, uh, I, I had detected in him the, the, uh, the, the sense of disapproval that broke his little heart. Because I had told him one thing, and then what I said you know, seemed to indicate another. He said, I really didn't have any disapproval of what he had done. I hadn't disapproved of his actions. But what I, the way I reacted, the, the unguarded reaction that I had, he said, that's really something that I had to think about because I did not think about what it would do to him. You know, when someone is doing his or her best, especially after you've encouraged them to do their best, that's really all that that person can do. And so we, we in essence, need to accept that without rebuke or without criticism toward them. We need to accept the fact that they have done their best. Now, having said that, I want us to understand some things as we talk about this idea of doing your best this morning. As we look at that, I want us to understand that there are two extremes related to people doing their best. There's one extreme, there's another extreme. What are the two extremes? Extreme number one is the idea of being lazy and do nothing, and, and it's the idea of that just-get-by attitude. It, it, it's, it really doesn't make any difference how it's done. Let's just, let's just get by with it. And then on the other hand, we have the extreme of perhaps we would call it legalism or perfectionism. And sometimes that even extends to, to our working to earn God's favor. And in essence, again, that is wrong. In reality, both extremes are wrong. 
especially when it comes to our work as Christians. But we want to think about it. We want to talk about it this morning. But this morning, I want us to understand that when we think about the extreme of being lazy, do-nothings, we can't be that as a Christian. We can't expect others to do things, everything for us. We have to be one who is not a lazy do-nothing. For example, we read in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 10, where the Bible says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now this concept of good works is not earning God's favor, but it's simply doing what God has said that we are to do. But notice that he said we are, uh, uh, God, we are his workmanship who has been prepared to do something. And so we can't let this lazy do-nothing idea be a part of our Christian life, be a part of our everyday life as we live as a Christian. Look at Romans chapter 1 at verse number 3 where the Bible says, uh, we'll read actually verses 3 through 5, Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. Sometimes people tend to think that faith is simply a brain game. It's something that we have in our head. But that's not what Paul wrote, is it? Just like he had said in the book of Ephesians chapter uh, 2, where we read in verse number 10 about being created as his workmanship, we are to be obedient in faith. The obedience of faith. And so again, that implies that we can't be lazy do-nothings. It means that there is something as Christians that we are to do. But then again, on the other hand, on that other extreme, we can't earn our salvation. We need to remember that. Sometimes I think we get it crossed up, or at least some people get crossed up in their mind. We can't earn our salvation. Even going back to the Old Testament, book of Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 6. The Bible says, We have all become like one who is unclean in all our righteous deeds. What kind of deeds? All our righteous deeds, not unrighteous deeds, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. As we live our life doing right, doing right things, committing righteous deeds, they're still like filthy rags. They're still like clothes that are worn out. We can't earn our salvation going into the New Testament, book of Luke chapter 17 at verse number 10. Jesus said, so you also, when you have done all that you are commanded, how much of what you are commanded? All of what you are commanded, you are still to say something. What is it that we're to say? You're still to say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And so, when we've done everything that we have been given by God, what have we done? Have we earned our salvation? No. We're simply 
unworthy servants. Still unworthy. We can't be lazy and we can't work our way into heaven either. What I want us to do in the time that we have remaining this morning is to go and revisit a parable that should be familiar to most of us. We've probably talked about it, you know, in classes and other things hundreds of times if you've been a Christian very long at all. But I want us to go back and I want us to look at the parable of the talents for just a moment this morning. And I want us to see some things in regard to that. I want us to read Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 18 as we begin our study. Matthew 25 beginning in verse 14 the Bible says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now again, this parable is pretty well, uh, you know, it's one that we hear a lot, one that we talk about a lot. But as we revisit it this morning, there are some things that I want us to, to, to grasp. Let's talk about the man first who uh, was the one who was giving out the talents. In our consideration of this parable of the talents, let's understand that we read about a man who had already excelled. He had already excelled. Suffice it to say that when he had seven talents to give away, he had a bunch of money to give away. He had a bunch that he gave these men to work with. As a matter of fact, if we were to bring that over into our currency, in the way that we view things, the way that we talk about things, we'd be talking about a man who gave each one of these men several million dollars to work with. When we think about talents, we're talking about sometimes the entire economy of certain nations. But this man had seven to give away so that his servants would be able to, to work with them and earn more. But this man, we need to understand, had already excelled in his own life. There are two basic extremes, or two basic attitudes, rather, I should say, that are possible. Now, think about this man, and think about the two attitudes that I am about to present to you. Number one, there's the attitude that tends toward mediocrity. When we talk about mediocrity, we're talking about the concept, the idea of just getting by. We're, we're talking about the disposition that's concerned with, with a low quality level. As a matter of fact, if you look up the definition of the term mediocre, what you're going to find is that it means of moderate or low quality, average or inferior. And so there's that attitude of mediocrity. Just get by. Just do enough in order to, uh, to, to get by. Now, all my life I've heard people say, all right, that's close enough for government work. Now, what does that mean? Well, generally, that means if it's close enough for government work, it's just average, it's just enough to get by. That'll get us by. But as we look at it, is that really the quality 
of the man that we're reading about who is giving the talents to these other men. No, he's not a mediocre man. He has excelled. And that brings us to that second attitude, the attitude that tends toward excellence. That's a totally different attitude that uh, some would have. Rather than being content with the mediocre, uh, he was committed to excellence and so should we be. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, in verse number 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. How are we to do it? Oh, just get by. Be mediocre about it. Just do enough. That's not what Solomon wrote. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it to the best of your ability. Do it with your might. You say, well, preacher, that's in the Old Testament. Yes, it is. Let's go to the New In the book of Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, the Bible says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now think about what he says here. Work heartily as for the Lord. Now I mentioned this in our lesson this evening, our video lesson this evening, but... When Paul is writing this, to whom is he addressing this particular statement? If you back up a verse or two, you'll find that he is writing to bond servants, to slaves. And he's telling them that they are to be obedient to their masters. They are to serve their masters. But how are they to serve their masters? They are to serve their masters working heartily, Not because they're just working for them, because they're working for the Lord. He's talking about Christian slaves here. And he says we are to work to do the best, work heartily, because it's not just what men see. It's not just what we're doing for people around us. It's because we are working for the Lord. We're serving Him. Now if we're serving our Lord... What kind of master is he? We're talking about the master who had the talents to give to the men to, uh, to use. We said he excelled, but we're talking now about our excelling. But we're talking about doing it as for the Lord. But what kind of master is our Lord? Does the Bible have anything to say about it? Yes, it does. Excellence was the attitude of Jesus. Excellence was the attitude. Just like this man excelled, excellence was the attitude of Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 37. Mark 7, verse 37. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He, talking about Jesus, has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. How did Jesus do whatever it was He was doing? The Bible says He did all things well. Now, Mark is writing about Jesus doing all things well and what people are saying about Him. But what is it that they're saying about Him? Well, one of the things that they say is He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The idea is... 
As we look at it, uh, Barnes in his commentary, he puts it this way. He said, all things in a remarkable manner, or he has perfectly effected the cure of the deaf and the dumb. The deaf and those who can't speak. How did he effect the cure? Perfectly. In other words, the people who couldn't hear maybe had never heard from the very part of their earliest childhood, they were able to hear better than me. (laughs) I can't hear as good as I used to. Some of you can't hear as good as you used to. Some of you wear hearing aids. When a person was healed by Jesus, in what we're looking at here, if Jesus did it excellently, if he excelled in what he was doing, they didn't need a hearing aid even if they couldn't hear. They didn't need an implant of some kind. They went away hearing as good as anybody. And they didn't walk away stuttering if they couldn't speak before. They didn't walk away not being able to talk very plainly. They were able to speak well. Because the One who healed them, Jesus our Lord, Jesus our Master, tended toward excellence. Whatever He did, He did it right. Whatever He did... He did it to the best. And that's what we should see in Him. And that's what we should do as well. But then not only that, as we consider this parable of the talents, let's also understand that we read about a man who recognized his servants were not equal in their inherent abilities. He recognized that these men that he was giving the talents to didn't all have the same qualifications. Each one of them had something different about him. Some more qualified, some less qualified, but all qualified for something. Now, again, as you look at the book of Matthew, chapter 25, at verse 15, notice what we read about this man. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then went away. To each according to... This man was not so dense that he just went out and started handing out money. He just went out and started handing it out and said, okay, you handle this. He had observed and he knew what each person could accomplish. What he could do if he set his mind to it. If he sought to excel, to do his best. He noted that they had talents. He noted that they had abilities. He didn't expect equal dollar amounts for results. He didn't expect equal quality of results. No person is expected to do more than he or she has the ability to do. And the Lord Himself is also a fair Lord. The abilities of the servants are reflected in uh, what they did and how they, were re- how they were rewarded. The five-talent man received five more. The two-talent man received two more. Each was recorded, uh, rewarded according uh, to, to what he had done. But notice in verses 21 and 23 that each one was also put in charge of many things after they were rewarded. And each was invited to share in the master's happiness, the five talent and the two talent. And again, that's found in verses 21 
and 23. And so, he recognized that and he distributed his talents in that way. Look at Titus chapter 2 at verse number 10. Paul writes and says, Not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In everything doing what? We have the obligation, the duty to adorn the doctrine of God in how many things? In all things. And in reality, that commitment to excellence or lack of it often shows up most clearly in the way that we do perhaps the little things in our life. And we ought to do the best We ought to be the best, the hardest working, the most dependable employee at our workplace. We ought to be the best, most caring, most forgiving, most loving person in our home. We ought to be the best, most diligent, most dedicated, most diligent Christian in our congregation. We're not these things because of what we have. The circumstances that we're involved in the circumstances in which we find ourselves, or even the talents that we possess, but because God expects us to do our best with what we have been given. Just like the the master realized that his servants had differing abilities in working, God recognizes that, but He still expects us to do the best with what we have. That brings us to our third point in consideration of the parable of the talents. We find one man who was an excuse maker. An excuse maker. Matthew chapter 25 at verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered not. An excuse maker. Maybe he thought attacking was the best defense. Maybe, you know, it was something like uh, he attacked with the idea, well, you crooked capitalist, capitalist, you, you know, you expect more than what? Maybe he's just trying to shift blame. Now, remember we talked about that last week and it doesn't work. We can't shift blame. But this man was an excuse maker. But as I examined this man... I have to also examine Mark. I have to examine myself. You have to examine yourself. When it comes to what God has given you to work with, are you using it? Or are you making an excuse like this fellow? If you're an excuse maker, you're going to find yourself like this guy. It's not that, well, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that. Whatever it is that God has given you, you better be using it to do your best. Not only was this man an excuse maker, but he was afraid, afraid of trying. He was afraid of doing. Notice again what is said in verse 25, Matthew 25 at verse 25. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Afraid. Afraid. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, but as for the cowardly, that's the ones who are afraid. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, 
Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This man was afraid. He didn't get good compliments at the, at the end when the, when the master came back, and neither will we. If we're afraid to serve our God, something's wrong. And we're included in some of the worst characters in society. The murderers, the idolaters. We can't be afraid to serve our God. We can't be afraid to use what God has given us because He recognized when He gave it to us that we have that ability. Just like that master recognized the ability and yet one man didn't use what he was given. He was afraid. Fear has prevented many, many from following the Lord. From, from beginning their, their initial walk with Him. But fear has also hindered many in the service of the Lord. And we don't want to be, if we're Christians, we don't want to be in that latter category. Here's also a man who was accused of being wicked and lazy. Isn't that what, sort of what we've been talking about? In comparison to doing our best, there are some who go to the extreme of not even trying being wicked and lazy. Look at what he said in verse 26. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. Slothful simply means lazy. You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Indeed, he is called a wicked man and a lazy man. At least he could have deposited it in the bank and let others use it so it could draw interest. But to refuse to use one's ability, notice this, is wickedness. Wickedness. That's why we find those who are cowardly in the group of the murderers and the adulterers and fornicators and all of those. If we're sitting here making excuses because we're afraid, we're doubly bad. We, like this man, when we stand before God, we'll have to answer for it. We don't want to do that. Our duty as Christians is always to do the best that we can with what we have. That's our obligation. Now before we close... I want us to think about the times in which we're living. And I want to encourage each one of us to do our best in at least the following ten things. We'll run through them rather quickly. But this is my challenge to every single one of us. In the times in which we're living right now in 2021, here are ten things that I want to challenge you to do, to do your best as a Christian. Number one, be the best example you can be. Isn't that what Paul told Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12? Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Be the best example you can be. 
In a time when our nation is falling apart, in a time when Christians even are questioning what they're doing, you can't join the crowd. You as a Christian must be the best example you can be. To be an example any less than that is to be like the wicked, lazy person. Number two, be the best in showing love that you can be. Remember John chapter 13 at verse 35, Jesus said, By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We're to love brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to show love to others, are we not? To love God with all of our heart and to love our fellow man just like ourselves. Isn't that the second greatest commandment? What's happening in our world today? Well, there's division. And there are forces in our world that are trying to divide. That's their everyday business, it seems, of trying to divide folks along racial lines, along economic lines, along everything that you can think of, whether it be uh, political things or, or everyday ordinary things that we're experiencing right out here on the street. There is division. We need to be showing love. We're talking about doing our best. We've already established that we as Christians should be ones who are excelling. But what should we excel in? I'm just giving ten examples. Be the best in showing love that you can be. Number three, be the best forgiver that you can be. In Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, Jesus said, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Not you should, ought to, might. You must be the best forgiver. Even if we've been divided and we understand the things that are dividing people and people seek to reconcile, in other words, ask that forgiveness, turn away from what they're doing, we can't be people who hold grudges and keep holding a grudge because we are to be the best forgivers because if we don't, God won't forgive us. Number next, be the best friend you can be. I'm challenging us to be the best friend that you can be. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. That's not part of the time. That's not when I agree with you. That's not... You know, if I'm in the mood to, a friend loves at all times. Now that verse goes on and says, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Be the best friend you can be. Next, be the best employee or best employer that you can be. I know there are a lot of things going on with jobs and things like that right now. But be the best. We've already talked about 
in the book of Colossians chapter 3, uh, doing things heartily as for the Lord. I pointed out earlier that he's talking to Christian slaves. Well, that would transfer in our day and time. We're not slaves. We may sometimes feel like we are to the employer that we have, but in reality, we are to do the best that we can. What if everybody else on the team, everybody else who works with you, what if they're just plain out lazy? What if they don't do their job? What if they're the ones who, who, who you know, try to shift things on you? What do you do? You do your best. Be the best spouse you can be. We're living in a time, again, when families are falling apart. And the only way to fix families is for each spouse to be the best spouse that he or she can be. Enough said. Be the best servant you can be. What do you mean by that? Serve other folks. I know we've got a lot of folks here at Midway who, who, who just go above and beyond in helping. That's one of the greatest things that people can say about you. But in, an, in the times in which we're living as Christians, we need to continue to be the best servant that we can be, be the best encourager that you can be. The best encourager. Are people down and out right now? A lot of things going on. A lot of people hurting. Do they need some encouragement? Who's going to do it? We are, as God's people. Be the best in your attitude that you can be. Now, a lot of these other things, they fall under this category, at least they're a part of it. We've got to have the right attitude in the things that we say, things that we write, in the things that, um, uh, the way that we react to people. We've got to have the right attitude. But then not only that, be the best in every trial that comes upon you that you can be. I'm not a prophet, so therefore I can't be a prophet of doom. But I'm fearful that in our own nation, that as Christians, the time may come when we, are, we find ourselves being persecuted more and more and more, just like people in the first century, perhaps, even to the point of losing our life. And if we're not committed to excellence in our service to God, then we're not going to follow through. But we need to be the best in every trial that comes upon us. And again, that reflects in our example, that it reflects in our attitude, in everything that we do. But we are to be the best in every trial. You see, if we're not the best in even the smallest trial, then we will not be the best in the biggest one. We even have to start with the small. So be the best in every trial that comes upon you. Folks, we must try to live in harmony with what God has made us. But we need always to remember this. God has made us the best of His creation. Remember when He created 
He looked down each day and He said, it's good. When He created man, He said, it's very good. We are the best of His creation. And so we seek to do the best for Him because we are the best. He has created us the best. And when we've done our best without laziness or excuse, that's all God expects from us. But the challenge for us, the challenge we face every day, is to faithfully live our lives in subjection to His will. And when we've done that, guess what? We will be doing our best. Our challenge is to faithfully live in subjection to His will. And when we've done that, we will have done our best. It may be today that you need to obey the Gospel of Christ. It may be today that you need to come back to the Lord. If we can assist you in any way, why don't you come right now as together we stand as we sing. Why Let us pray together. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we pray at this time that we might forget about the stress and the worries of our worldly lives and concentrate on the time that Your Son and our Savior sacrificed His life on the cross for the sins that we commit and that we might be forgiven for this uh, bread, which represents His body, we offer up our prayers of thanksgiving in Christ's name. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father heaven, as we continue in a prayerful mind to remember your son's sacrifice, we thank you now for 
this fruit of the vine which represents His blood. It's in Christ's name. Amen. This uh, completes our remembrance and observance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Now's the time that we will pray in relation to our obligation to cheerfully give back uh, to the work of the Lord. Let us pray. Our kind Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity that we have to be born into a, a land in which individuals can make gain and work and produce things that they may put back and that they may cheerfully give to You who is truly the owner of all things. We pray now that we'll cheerfully give back as as we have made in Christ's name. Amen. I just noticed there's a ring that's been turned in. I don't know, it looks like a small, smaller ring, but it's laying up here if somebody's lost one. Let me begin by thanking each of you for being here and for also working with us as the elders of the congregation. We know this, is, I think it's next week was actually a year since we've been able to have classes and been started going through the pandemic as we, have, as we know it is affecting Midway. We are super excited to announce that starting next Sunday, we will start having our classes back. There are going to be some expanded classes, so they're going to be a little bit bigger than what you're used to uh, that we've had in the past. But uh, what we'll do is we'll have worship at 10. We'll finish up around 10.50. We will dismiss by classes, and then we'll go to the classrooms. I'm going to tell you what those classrooms are. Once the bell rings at 11.30 at the end of class, we'll dismiss. So, zero to three-year-olds will be down the hall, the last classroom on the left. Uh, Four-year-olds through second grade will be downstairs. The third through the fifth grade uh, will be in the large classroom on the right at the very end of the hall. College will be in your college classrooms. The 6th grade through the 12th grade will be in the new fellowship hall. And then the adults will remain in the auditorium. So for at least the first few weeks, Mark will teach the auditorium class, and then we may transition uh, at that time. Brian Wolf just had hip replacement surgery, as you know, so I know Mike's going to have his hands full with getting him back and forth to therapy, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the reason for that. We will be still continuing to observe the masking and social distancing uh, in worship and in the class time. So the classrooms will be set up this week uh, for that. And then beginning, I think next Sunday is the 7th, so beginning the 10th on Wednesday night, we will start having Wednesday night services at 6.30. It will come right into class times and we'll still use those same classrooms and then we'll come back into the auditorium. So. We're super excited for to be able to announce this. 
Uh, there'll be some text coming out. I know you saw an announcement on the, in the bulletin today as well. And then we'll also have uh, uh, a little bit more breakdown on the classes as far as next in the next week's bulletin as well. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Keith. And it's, it's good to have a uh, step back to a symbol of normal, normalcy. Uh, it's, uh, it's gone on for quite some time. Um, don't have any additional announcements, but please pick up a bulletin. We have several that are uh, still suffering from, uh, from COVID and um, some surgeries recently. Uh, so, uh, so please pick up a bulletin. Keep those folks in your prayers. Uh, Jairus handed me the attendance this morning, which is 113, which is about uh, 20 to 30 above what we've been running lately. So it's, uh, it's great as we, we try to get back to, to where we were at uh, one time. Uh, reminder, our uh, online worship Bible study tonight at 5 p.m. Uh, please tune in there. And also our Wednesday night uh, study at uh, 6.30 also online. Uh, if there are no other announcements, I encourage everyone to, to be safe. Go out and have a great week and look forward to seeing you back again. Look right if you'll come and dismiss us. Bow with me. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this day in which we've been able to come and worship you. We pray that you would be with those who are going through hard and difficult times. We pray that you would be with our country and be with the church and that you would forgive us of our many sins and help us to live our lives for you. And we're so thankful, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.